Hayes, Alexander, Shabbat for three, bang, oh! will get it for the win. What's going on guys? Welcome to Time Dropper for another 2021-22 post-game recap. Before we get started, please make sure to subscribe on YouTube at Time Dropper Podcast, Apple Podcasts, follow us on Spotify, and of course, to follow us on all social media platforms at Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Dime Dropper Pod. Also, Super Chats are turned on. If you want to drop a dollar a dime, make a donation for your boy. Uh, could help me with my getting uh, a streaming service to get guys on the live and collab with me post game as well. So you know everything's appreciated, but let's get down to business before we get into the Lakers Knicks game tonight, which was for me one of my favorite games of the season to watch. It was, you know, some might say a shit show, but I thought it was thoroughly entertaining. A tale of two halves, indeed, but. I also want to talk about the James... Oh, man, Mike Breen. Sorry. I also want to talk about the James Harden saga and what's going on in Brooklyn. But let's first talk about the news I woke up to yesterday morning. And that was that my LA Clippers are bringing one of my favorite college players that I got the pleasure to watch here at UCLA. My dad's UCLA Bruins. My sister's UCLA Bruins. Norman Powell, the best player on the 2015 team that beat SM, uh, yeah, SMU, yeah, Southern Methodist in the first round and made it to the Sweet 16, if I'm not mistaken. And he was great in the 2014 team with Kyle Anderson when we won the Pac-12 tournament. He, he And obviously, we don't know about what Norman Powell's done in the league. His first year in the NBA, he helped the Toronto Raptors break that little first-round barrier that they had on them for from 2014 when they lost to the Brooklyn Nets. And then, of course, the embarrassing 2015 sweep to the Washington Wizards. Norman Powell was big in that Game 7, if my memory serves me correctly, or Game 5 against the Indiana Pacers, Paul George's Indiana Pacers. And then, of course, a good series against the Miami Heat to get the pace to, to I'm sorry to get the Raptors to their first ever conference finals and then of course the two seed the following year the I'm sorry no they were the three seed in 2017 I'm sorry the three seed the following year and then you know they got swept by the Cavs but 2018 he helped them get the one seed and then there's nothing like the 2019 team I always say that the Raptors had a very strict nine man rotation. It was a rotation of no defensive liabilities, Norman Powell included. And if I had to choose who the least good player was of that nine, it was probably Norman Powell. But considering that the other eight players were Kyle Lowry, Danny Green, Kawhi Leonard, Pascal Siakam, Marcus Gasol, Freddie Van Vliet, and Serge Ibaka, actually that may have been an eight-man rotation. If I'm forgetting somebody, drop a comment, but it's low-key was like an eight-man rotation. OG Ananobi played a little bit, but... Norman Powell was, I think, the eighth wheel in that. So, yeah, Norman Powell has championship experience at a young age. He can get to the basket. He can pull up from the mid-range area. He can hit threes. He can score one-on-one, especially going to his right. Uh, I'm not, sh- And he's also good finishing through contact. 
And Norman, you know, coming off screens will be able to hit mid-ranges. He can make basic pick-and-roll reads. It's just exactly what we needed last season when we were talking about getting another score with juice off the bounce that can take guys off the dribble and create his own shot. Exactly what we need. And what price did we pay? Justice Winslow, who, by the way, was playing fantastic basketball on this road trip. So shout out to Justice Winslow. He had a really shaky start to the season, just charging in. That was his only offensive move. You know, he has no jump shot, really. No mid-range, no three. Uh, He has a decent floater, but a lot of times he just tries to charge in, dip the shoulder into your chest, and hope for the best. But his defense is good. His length is good. His effort is good. And he has been playing fantastic on this road trip. So, you know, his trade value was high, and um, we made a move on it. As for the other two players we lost, Keon Johnson, you know, obviously when you get a young player, you want to see him grow. Sadly, that will not be the case with Keon Johnson here in Los Angeles, but all the best to him. He has stupid bounce. (coughs) Sorry, guys, still a little sick. Almost done. But he has stupid bounce. He... As plays good defense, he has good length getting over screens, and just good length in general, and he's going to get a chance in Portland. And I think Chauncey Billups is going to like him because he's a defense-first player, and they're going to need some of that. Another guy who's pretty good at defense and was just such a polarizing figure in the first couple of weeks of the season, Eric Bledsoe. You know, Eric, I always said, and you can look back, look back at my reaction when we made the trade for him in the summer, Eric is... One of our own, you know, he was drafted from with that famous Kentucky team with John Wall, DeMarcus Cousins, and Patrick Patterson, 2010 Kentucky Wildcats, and you know, we got him in 2010, and he had a great three years with us. He was an energizer bunny off the bench, an amazing shot-blocking guard at his size. He was just an energizer. I remember people used to call him Baby LeBron as like a joke. 2012 and especially 2013, he was just fantastic. The thing about Eric now is, you know, when Ty started him to start the season, I didn't like it because he had two low IQ point guards with Reggie Jackson and Eric Bledsoe. And Eric Bledsoe is just not a good floor spacer at all. And he's not smart in moving off the ball at all. So he kind of just stands around like Westbrook does basically when he doesn't need to be. And oh God, we're going to get into Westbrook later, guys. Stay tuned for that. But Eric... Also, you know, his defensive intensity, or or should I say his effort, is not the same as it was when he was with the Clippers the first time. He is inconsistent, pick and choosy. But overall, I thought, especially as the season progressed, especially when Ty brought him off the bench like he should have done from the beginning, Eric started playing a lot better. He started building a nice connection with Isaiah Hartenstein. Uh, He started playing against second unit level players and I always said Eric Bledsoe would be is a very solid backup point guard but ever since he left the Clippers the first time he has not been you know a backup point guard he has been a starter and of course he was a starter on a number one seed which he was part of in a good way but also part of in the disappointment way in the playoffs with his decision making he's just not a very high IQ player he does not understand sometimes that he just shouldn't be shooting threes he's exactly one of those guys that Charles Barkley talks about that's like you know all these dummies they all think they're Steph Curry. They think they can all shoot threes. No, jackass, go to the basket. That's exactly what Eric Bledsoe is. You know what I'm saying? Like, he just doesn't realize that sometimes he needs to stop shooting threes. And But overall, I love Eric. I got a lot of love for him. Uh, I don't have anything bad to say about him. Uh, I actually feel pretty sad for him because players love playing for the Clippers these days in the Balmer era. And, you know, to see him go when you're playing for a team that's, you know, getting Kawhi and Paul back next year. And he's going to probably make the playing game this year. And he's part of a great culture. 
and you're going to, you know, Purgatory Portland, it's like tough. You know what I'm saying? So it's tough for Eric. But for the Clippers, man, especially bringing Robert Covington in, that's another thing I want to talk about. Robert Covington, who sadly the other day I said in the Laker recap, you can check it out, that he was broke. He was like 0 for 6. His three ball is extremely streaky. Um, I've heard from a lot of people he's not great guarding the ball or at the point of attack, getting over screens or whatever, but he's a good help defender, good rotator. He also has like a 7-foot wingspan. So, like, honestly, you cannot get enough of 3 and D wings that space the floor in this era, and we have them in, in, in abundance. And, you know, with Amir Coffey, Terrence Mann, and Rocco, and now Norman Powell, who is sturdy and a pretty decent de- – he's a good defender from what I saw. You know, as I said with the Raptors team in 2019, they had no defensive liabilities. If you were a defensive liability, you were not seeing the court. Because um, they'll, you know, they'll hunt you out real quick at finals level competition. But anyway, we're going to be solid, especially next season. Oh, my goodness. Like, I cannot wait, guys. We need to win the championship next season. There is, like, there's no excuse next season to not win the championship. I want to see us run through this league, okay? Because the Warriors, you know, they're a great team. I still have my doubts about Stephen Curry uh, repeat in terms of winning another championship as the consensus best player when the physicality increases. I've noticed that when the physicality increases, jump shooters, that goes for Durantula as well, suffer. And I think that's part of why, and I'm not saying Curry and Durant are not good playoff players, but when it gets to that final four, shit is different. Shit is different. We saw it in the 2016 finals. Okay, the Curry apologists are going to say he was injured. He definitely was not 100%. But still, we've seen it when he is healthy. You know, we saw it a little bit in 2019 against Toronto in the finals. And I saw it against the Grizzlies in the play-in game last year with Dylan Brooks. So I'm not as scared of the Warriors. And plus, Draymond Green is not 2016 Draymond Green. Klay Thompson is not back into that form yet, despite the hot shooting night he had against Sacramento the other night. So... I, as the Clippers, I'm, I'm feel, I would love to play the Warriors next year. I want to see it. And, of course, we, I want to see the fucking Suns. We need to get them back for 06 and for 21. But, anyway, I could not be more ecstatic. If you want to ask me what I think the lineup is going to be, I think we're going to go with Reggie at the point, Norman at the two, and then probably the Brewmaster at the three, Nico, and Zoo. But... That would bring Marcus Morris Sr. off the bench alongside Terrence, Newt Kennard, and Serge, and Isaiah, which is a great five-man rotation. The only thing that concerns me is we don't really have another backup point guard because Luke Kennard can run, pick, and roll, and bring up the ball, but he's so fantastic moving without the ball and being a threat off the ball that that's going to hinder our offense. I think Terrence Mann, this is where you can either really look to make Terrence Mann or a mere coffee, a secondary point forward and run the second unit. That's an idea. Uh, and I think that we need to get Terrence more comfortable in these situations. You know, he has the, the glimmer of that pull-up mid-range from the right elbow. And obviously, he needs to work on his going left. But, you know, I think that Terrence could honestly take this responsibility. And it would be a great, great opportunity for him to develop for next season. But if we want to do it with Amir Coffee, who has shown, you know, more confidence with, first of all, he's a better shooter than Terrence Mann, but um, uh, Brewmaster, 
you know, he has shown some playmaking chops in the pick and roll lately. So if you want to have him as the point forward backing up and start Nico and Senior with Norman Powell and Reggie, that's an idea as well. Then there's also the idea of making Norman Powell our sixth man and having him run the second unit at the point guard. So a lot of options for Ty. At the end of the day, there's a great reason why I don't need to overspeculate because I trust my fucking coach for the first time in a long time. Now we're going to move on to the ridiculous circus of a game that took place at Staples Center tonight, and that was the New York Knickerbockers against the Lakers. And guess who's back? Back again, LeBron James. And LeBron looked, like, literally unbelievable tonight in terms of, like, athletically and, like, how fresh he looked. He looked like he hadn't skipped a beat. But the Lakers... And by the way, Frank Vogel tonight changed the starting lineup. He changed it to, he did exactly what Laker fans have been asking. He had AD at the five. He had Stanley J at the four. He had LeBron at the three, which is a pretty big front line, even though you don't have, your four and the five are big, but playing LeBron as a three in this era is is big. And then you have, you have a lot of length there as well. And then in your backcourt, you had Malik Monk and Russ, which is what everybody's been wanting, Avery Bradley on the bench, and he only played 13 minutes tonight and was 0 for 2. He probably shouldn't even really be playing at all. But it is what Melo and, and Dwight Howard didn't play. So usually that spot would probably go to Carmelo Anthony. But let's talk about the way the Lakers started. Now, when I turned on the game, it was 16 to 6 and the Knicks were winning. Guys, I'm going to say this again. I've been a Russell Westbrook fan. Since I was literally a kid, he went to UCLA. He was part of the 08 team. He went to Lazinger. He's from Los Angeles. He played with so much heart in OKC. He was a one-man show. There were times where I had watched Russell Westbrook when I was young, and I literally think there were two of him on the court. I made the comment the other night against us that Russ's defense has been excused all year, and I've taken it pretty lightly on him on my podcast because he gets enough slander as it goes, and I just don't want to pile on sometimes. But tonight's first half was legitimately one of the worst halves of basketball. the Probably the worst half of basketball I've ever seen from an MVP, regardless of whether he's in his prime or not, just by an M- anyone that has won that award. He was a, an extreme liability on both ends. He was walking he on defense, literally walking over screens, late and lagging behind every single pass when he was rotating. It was like Anthony Davis and DeAndre even, all these guys had to overcompensate for him. So much so that it's like when the play stopped, Russ is always in no man's land. And then on offense, he's so low on confidence. He's not making his layups. He's not making his jumpers. His jumper was already, he's never been amazing, but his mid-range in the last couple years has deteriorated significantly. He continues to take threes. He took two threes on one possession tonight, and on one play, he was literally had feet of room at the foul line and was so indecisive, he fumbled the ball. I kid you not, he had four shacked in a full nominee-level plays and I'm saddened for Russ because he started getting booed by the Laker unfaithful. But honestly, guys, I'm not even going to blame the Laker fans because it's gotten to a point that I can't even defend him as a Russ fan. You know what I'm saying? Like, I can't even defend him. 
it's so bad. Like, the one thing is, okay, your offense is bad. You've lost your confidence. You have to, you know, play with LeBron. It's tough, whatever. But if your defensive intensity, what you've been, you've made your mark on being an effort player your whole career, and you are dogging it on defense all season long, bro. I can't defend that anymore. And and the worst part is, like, I can, and this is why I love watching games, guys, and film, and everybody says, anybody that says, you can't, what does body language mean? You've never played a fucking sport in your life. Drop the calculator and watch the game or get out there and get some exercise. Because when you look at Russ's eyes, it's like that kid that is having such a bad game, he just wants to do, wants to make one shot or do one thing that gets the approval of his, of his, of the crowd, of his fellow teammates. And Russ had that look in his eye, that, like, I'm confused. Like, I just, like, I've, he had no confidence, guys. He was rattled. It's crazy. And, you know, when Russ came out of the game, LeBron and the Lakers were getting stops, and LeBron had, like, four straight line drives to the basket right down the middle in transition. Like, right down the middle in transition, he was attacking. Anthony Davis was following up shots on the second effort. But overall, we got to give credit to the Knicks, man, in that first half. Their effort was fantastic. R.J. Barrett, you know, this is the second time we've talked about R.J. Barrett this season because he ate against my Clippers. But R.J. Barrett against, like, guards his size, he is strong. There was one, and again, going back to Russ, there was one play where Russ literally made R.J. Barrett look like Dwayne Wade in the low post. Like, he shimmy-shaked him, and Russ was so faked out. Like, it was comedy. Like, it was like, I I couldn't even believe what I was seeing. R.J. Barrett, by the way, coming off of screens, getting to his left, was making was having some inc- making some incredible layups over AD over DJ. He was snaking that pick and roll beautifully. They were forcing him right and trying to ice him, which is forcing it to the baseline to the drop to the drop defender. He would turn back to the left, and then you know the roller would set a screen on the on the guy that was initially guarding RJ, so he couldn't get over the screen. Similarly to how Daniel Tice, actually no, Daniel Tice used to screen the 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 man that was guarding him. He used to set. He used to set a double screen, like shield him as he would go to the layup, go to the basket. But RJ Barrett was snaking that pick and roll to perfection, and he had confidence. He was hitting his shots. And Julius Randle, I also thought tonight was like the Julius Randle of last season. He was making his step backs. You know, it seemed like they were in LA and they were ready to prove a point, and like they were trying to come out with an energy. Spike Lee was at the game. It was primetime Saturday. And by the way, these primetime Saturday games are starting to feel like, like how. The ABC Sunday games used to be when I was younger. You know, the ABC Sun. There's no real ABC Sunday games anymore. They are, but they just don't feel the same. These Saturday games, like in the last couple of years, have been the new that that Sunday primetime. Like the Curry uh, half court shot against the Thunder that basically changed the course of the league, was was um a Saturday night primetime game at six o'clock or whatever. But this was a fun one, man. And and Julius Randle was hitting those step backs. Uh, he was hitting threes. You know, he was two of four from three tonight. Eight of ten from the line. You know, I thought, like, when the Knicks were getting in transition, by the way, off off Laker turnovers, too, like, Obi Toppin had a put-back dunk at one point. It was bad. The Knicks were up by 15 at half, 71 to 56. Second half, though, and again, it really all comes down to the effort of LeBron James on defense to me. I've been saying it all season. You know, this is one of the only channels you're going to get somebody that's not going to make excuses for LeBron. LeBron James to me is still a top five player in the NBA. Um, Until I see two postseasons in a row where he comes up short in terms of the way he performs, uh, I'm not going to say that he's not top five. Uh, You saw, what you saw tonight was a top five player in this NBA. 
And no, when you see tonight, was a top three player in this NBA. Because when he's locking in on defense, and yes, he was playing like, like, look, there was some slow mo's tonight. Man, when LeBron hand checks, bro, oh my God, like he's so strong. Like he could just steer you. He could just steer you, which also makes you think, like, if he played in the older eras, that's something we don't consider the flip side of the argument. How much better would he be as a defender? But again, it really comes down to effort. I've seen LeBron try to hand check guys when he's not moving his feet, he's not low. It's different. So LeBron tonight, he was low. He picked up fouls, which when he's picking up fouls and getting physical like that and like complaining that he's picking up fouls, I know he's engaged. I know he's on different time. He's forcing turnovers. That's infectious. You already know what Anthony Davis has been doing since he came back from injury. Amazing in pick and roll, blocking shots. He had four blocks tonight and three steals. He was awesome. And by the way, DeAndre Jordan, he came in for three minutes and he actually didn't play that bad. He had some nice contests. He had no, I know he had one foul on RJ Barrett, but he had some really nice contests. Uh, and actually did some pretty, had some good defensive sequences in pick and roll, and he actually got an offensive rebound too when he first came in. So, you know, DJ didn't, didn't fuck shit up in three minutes. But the Lakers, also Ariza as well, you know, did a good job defensively when he was playing in the second half. He played 35 minutes tonight, and he had 11 points and eight rebounds to go along with three assists, and he had plus 11, plus minus. Three of nine from the field and two of seven from three, but his length on defense and the Lakers' scheme in the second half was to switch everything. And it worked pretty well. It led to a lot of Julius Randle isolations, which what do I always say about Julius Randle, dime dropper fam? He posts up and starts his move way too high for a guy with that kind of size and frame. And that's why last season was so ridiculous because he was making, when people, they load up on him every time, every time. Every team loads loads up on him because the Knicks shooters aren't that reliable. And I also want to say, too, because it was very evident when the Lakers were getting loaded up on, when LeBron had the ball in the mid-post. Oh, my God. The amount of times nobody on the weak side moves and cuts middle is appalling, bro. Why do I have to be here and say this as a 23-year-old kid who's never played D1 basketball and I can notice this? I get it. Get out of his way. But when the whole defense is shifted over, loading up on Bronny, staring at you, waiting for somebody to cut, cut. And the only person that was doing that in the first half and throughout the game was Stanley Johnson. Then Ariza was doing it a little bit towards the end. But, like, guys, you're always going to get the ball when the defense is loading up on Braun like that. He's not trying to take a contested mid-range more often than not. He will try to find the cutter. And then the same for the Knicks. Very rarely were they cutting. You know, I thought RJ actually did, a couple did it a couple times. But it's like, and Julius Randle, you know, he had some great nice plays. And I think his playmaking has improved. He's still not elite passing out of double teams and making those reads. He starts out too high. Like, if you're the defense, you can just focus on him. You know what I'm saying? Like, you have nothing to worry about on the backside because nobody's moving. You know, the defense is all just sunk in and just staring at him. You know what I'm saying? Packing the paint and staring at him so he kicks it out. You can. That's what exactly what I say about when teams, what makes Stephen Curry so much tougher to guard at, for your team than Trey Young or Luka. Because those guys, everything is just in front of you at the top of the key. You know what I'm saying? You don't got to worry about weak uh, guys cutting back door, all this shit. But when you watch the play the Warriors, you got to have a, your, ha your heads on a swivel because you got to be thinking about where Curry is off the ball and who's on the ball. Because you always got to watch the ball. And when you're just watching the ball and they're just dancing at the top and everybody's standing around and you got, you're got inside the key and just staring behind the arc, it's like, dude, it's super easy to guard you. And, and you know, Julius kind of went to that hero ball towards the game as the second half went on. 
But I thought he actually still played pretty well. I can't be too critical of him. 32 points, 16 rebounds, and 7 assists. And his effort level was amazing. Like, he was going right at the chest of some dudes. And speaking of going at the chest of some dudes, Malik Monk. He was phenomenal again tonight. Making his open threes in the second half. And, you know, Russ got an assist to him in the right wing. And a lot of those threes were because the Lakers were getting stops. They did a good job of pushing the pace when they got those stops. And Malik Monk hit three threes, one of which actually was Russ's only good play of the game to me. Was when he, Kemba, it was actually a stupid play by Kemba Walker. He was on a, you know, like a three on one or something. And Kemba had cleared Russ. He was ahead of him. He had a layup and Russ didn't even go up for a block. And Kemba thought Russ was going to go for a block, threw it behind him to, I think it was RJ or Obi Toppin or Alec Burks. And Russ swiped down, stole the ball, made a really nice uh, outlet or, you know, you know, kick outlet pass or go at like, I'm losing, I'm losing the terminology here, but fucking, you know, up ahead, he threw it up ahead to fucking Malik Monk in the left corner. He made a three and that caused a timeout that got the Lakers within one. And then you came back from the timeout. Anthony Davis was following up everything. He was being more aggressive. LeBron was hitting threes. He hit this beautiful turn over the right shoulder that again, we've been talking about that turn over the right shoulder for all season long. I talked about it last season. It's that's something that he's had in his bag for the last five years. And if he really had that in his bag earlier in his career, Oh, oh man, it would have been such a different ball game because when defenses back in like the 2000s would load up and do that same shit on him, he used to be exactly like that with Julius Randle. In 2010, game five against the Celtics, go watch it. Same shit. They're all loading up on him at the top while nobody's moving. It's not hard to guard. But he now has gotten that mid-range. So you can do that all you want. If LeBron's hitting that shot, forget it. So, Bron Bron. He was just killing it to me. And you know me. I, I, I'm I not the biggest Braun guy anymore. But when he's playing with that kind of defensive effort at age 37, you got to hand it to the guy, right? Coming off an injury. And he had that look in his eye. Again, talking about body language. Talking about reading their eyes. LeBron had that. He had that. I'm going to put a show on. I'm going to put on a show for the fans tonight. You know, dunking when the whistle had blown. Doing reverses. Like, he was feeling himself tonight. He was feeling himself. Sorry about the lag. I heard, I saw it was a little bit of a connection unstable warning uh, to the live subscribers. I apologize for that. Spotify and Apple Podcast. I'm going to get back to it. So the Laker defense made the biggest difference in the third quarter. 31-13 to 13 in that quarter in favor of the Lakers. Malik Monk had 17 points in the third quarter alone. Or 18. It was either 17 or 18. More points than the entire Knicks team in that third quarter. A guy that I thought was broke as shit tonight, was Evan Fournier. 15 points, 5 of 14 from the field, 3 of 10 from 3. I thought his effort level was good, but he was literally broke. And he made some doofus plays late in the game that I'll get to in a second. But in the fourth quarter, the whole thing was, how long are you going to have LeBron out? And by the way, Russell Westbrook in the second half, like he really deferred and let Malik Monk and LeBron and AD do their thing and was hitting on defense as much as possible. THT was having a tough night when he came in. By the way, Austin Reeves in the first half was like part of the only spark for the Lakers offensively. He and LeBron were running some great pick-and-roll actions, pick-and-pops, and just, you know, two-man game together with them setting screens for one another. But THT was having a tough night. He was putting a lot of catch-and-shoot, work-off-the-catch-late-in-the-shot-clock situations, and he was 0-5 for, for the longest time. But 
that fourth quarter, you know, was it was pretty electric. The Laker fans got into it. There was one moment, man, where Russell Westbrook had the ball and the the crowd literally chanted like well it's like no don't shoot he still shot the ball and missed the three and it's just like his confidence is just deteriorating by the second third quarter Russell only shot two shots there were layups and he both he missed them both um but the fourth quarter yeah he only shot that one shot and that was the three that everybody wanted didn't want him to take so clearly you could see and by the way I mean at the end of the day Russell only shot three times and it paid off. And, you know, it was a lot of THT on the ball. It was a lot of LeBron on the ball. And LeBron was dribbling the air out of the ball in the second half. But in the end, he was still making the right decisions for the most part. Uh, made some nice kickouts. Ariza made an open three, uh, if I can correct, if I recall correctly. Yeah, he had two of them. Yeah, so I remember the one in the right corner. I think they were both in the right corner. But another guy, you know, that didn't shoot well and had a lot of good looks was Quinton Grimes. I've heard he's been shooting great lately. Mike Breen mentioned that in commentary, and I've heard a lot of Knicks fans on Twitter talk about him. So just a bad night for him. He had a donut, um, Krispy Kreme style, uh, in 15 minutes, 0-5. But as to the fourth quarter, it was pretty neck and neck. The Knicks ended up actually outscoring the Lakers 27-24. It looked like the Lakers were going to pull away with LeBron and AD just really leading that charge. Anthony Davis, man, he was just awesome on both ends. You know, his ability to switch, his ability to protect the rim. LeBron was playing strong. But the Knicks would not quit. And somebody that would not quit was R.J. Barrett. He even had one move where he spun over his right shoulder and finished with his right hand. And I was like, man. Guys, I think R.J. Barrett's going to be a star one day because he had that, again, again with that body language and just looking at it. You can you can quote me. You can bookmark this. You can screen record it. I don't give a shit. I think R.J. Barrett one day will be an all-star. He has that look in his eye that's, like, hungry. And you know what I like? He plays both ends of the floor. That's what a lot of people don't give a shit about in this era. But I'll tell you what about R.J. too. They said that he takes notes on players. Like, he has, you know, like, notes about... uh you know, for defensive per- personnel purposes or defensive awareness and, you know, taking notes, scouting players, basically, and tendencies and shit. That's straight out of, like, Nate Thurmond. Like, you know what I'm saying? They used to say he used to do that. Um, now we have way more film. It's so much more accessible. Like, he can literally go on Synergy and, like, watch everything he wants. But, man, that's awesome. That shows drive. That shows a commitment to defense. Bill Russell used to do that type of shit. Now, am I saying that he's going to be, you're comparing R.J. Barrett to Nate Thurmond? No, I'm not. I'm just saying that that's hunger. And I'm, I think he's going to be an all-star one day. But, hey, listen, they say every 50 years, the New York Knicks get a shooting guard that's left-handed that plays both ends of the court and has B-A-R-E-T-T in his last name. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, please check out episode three of Dive Dropper Time Machine, Knicks-Lakers, game seven, the night the Knicks won the championship. It's great for you Knicks fans uh, to relive the glory days because you never know, you may not see that again. I hope we do, but you may not see that again and you probably haven't seen it. If you're watching this video, you probably did not see that live. So sorry, Knicks fans. I hope You know I'm a sympathizer. Anyway, let's, let's talk about the ending of the game. The Knicks were down by five points and the Lakers did everything in their power to leave him in the game by missing free throws. LeBron missed one, got his own rebound, missed a jumper. AD missed two. And then good old Russ walked up to the line. You knew he was going to miss. He was two in his own head. No confidence walking up there. Missed both. And then the Knicks 
Falderiza, who made one of two. I'm sorry, that put them up five. 101 to 96, I believe. I'm sorry, 111 to 106. And then R.J. Barrett went to the basket and had a really nice dunk. But as LeBron was inbounding the ball, R.J. Barrett stuck his hand out and deflected the inbounding pass as he was still out of bounds, which I have never seen this before, was a technical foul, which is usually a delay of game, but apparently delay of game under two minutes is a tech. And the fact that I don't know that is like, man, have I really never seen a game where that's happened before? Weird. But Malik Monk, of all people, struts his stuff up to the line and misses off the rolls off the front of the rim giving the Knicks another chance <laughs> and they fouled again wait yeah Malik Monk missed a three. I forget. I, I thought they had the shot clock turned off, but Malik Monk, the Lakers came back. Malik Monk got the ball from LeBron, and it was a good defensive possession for the Knicks. He shot a tough step back. Both AD and Russ went for the offensive rebound. It was a three-on-three -three break the other way, and, Ari and Malik Monk took ball. Ariza and LeBron did not communicate. R.J. Barrett was trailing on the right wing. He got the ball. Ice in his veins as he stuck the game-tying shot. And by the way, I heard a lot of cheering in the crowd tonight for the Knicks, which makes me realize that Clipper game is not going to be pretty. I am not going. Oh, my God. It's going to be MSG 2.0. It's going to be terrible. You, 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 done gave these, you done gave these Knicks fans a playoffs last year. They probably had these tickets from before the season, these L.A. Knicks fans. Or these New York transplants that have moved out here because the weather's so much better. By the way, if you're watching on the East Coast, I hope you're enjoying your freaking parkas outside, Sonny. Um, <laughs> sorry, East Coast people. You know I have love for y'all. But the Lakers got a last shot. And look, LeBron actually shot tonight. He shot the last shot. He had that same screen and roll shit. And they didn't switch because it was AD setting the screen. So you can't just throw two at LeBron. If you throw two at LeBron, AD's going to be wide open for a jumper. They just did a quick hedge recover, and LeBron got a pretty good look at a straightaway three, but it was stopping on a dime style, and you know what I say about LeBron stopping on a dime jump shot? He's never been great at it, and he missed, but at least he shot it. And then we go to the overtime. It was good defense for the first minute and a half, or ugly basketball, whatever you want to call it, and then the Lakers broke the deadlock with a LeBron dunk, and LeBron... Oh, and it was because Evan... Okay, so two bonehead plays by Evan Fournier. One was the first foul on Trevor Ariza when he had... We didn't need to. They had 46 seconds, but he got lucky. And then he saved the ball on a jump ball on the sideline towards the Laker basket. It was a, a it was an assist to LeBron, which gave them a moment, momentum. And then, you know, RJ missed a three. It was a good defensive possession by the Lakers. They made him work far deep into the shot clock. And then LeBron found THT for a layup at that point for an N1. And that was THT's first bucket. And Vogel made a huge decision to take Russell Westbrook out during overtime. And this is not the first time we've seen Vogel take Westbrook out to close a game. And it ended up paying off. So for all the people that want to put every single little thing that happens to the Lakers on Frank Vogel, that's negative, let's give him credit and keep that same energy 
for when he does do something well. Tonight, he did the exact adjustment Laker fans have been calling for all season. I know what you're going to say. Took him all season. Okay, but let's just give him credit for tonight. He did it. He did it. And, you know, benching a superstar $44 million, Okay, he's not a superstar anymore. Benching a star $44 million player because they are a terrible fit for this team and their confidence is just shot. It's tough. It's a tough decision because you're lowering that guy's confidence. He's not used to that. You know, he's not used to that. And it paid off. The Lakers won. THT had Nan won. Played pretty good defense. But the long-term effects of this night tonight and everything that's happened this season, you know, and the thing is when LeBron's back, it's like tonight in that first half, in the first quarter, they go back to trying to appease each other because they've not played together a lot and they're still trying to figure it out on the court. And it's like... You saw what LeBron and AD did so many times tonight. Like they met up one on one when they were on the court. You know what I'm saying? Talking to each other, whispering to each other, because they're the two that were in that 2020 team. Caruso's gone. You know what I'm saying? KCP's gone. JaVale's not there anymore. Dwight was there too. We didn't play tonight. Melo didn't play tonight. LeBron and AD are the guys that came and brought the championship and ended the 10 year drought of no ring here for the Lakers. And they're boys. And they can take over games, and that's what they did tonight. And. You're starting to see what could be a potential exit for Russ sooner than I thought. Because it's really that bad. It's really that bad. He has totally plummeted. And I think LeBron totally either underestimated his ability to work with a, a, a point guard that needs the ball in his hands, which he clearly did, or he uh, uh, underestimated how difficult it is for... And I say it's it, everybody has, has to conform to LeBron. Oh my goodness, Westbrook is even worse. You know, you have to conform to him. And Westbrook has tried to conform, but he can't. It's not good. He can't do it. And that's the thing. He needs to play when he's controlling things. But when he's controlling things, first or second round team at, at this stage of his career. Like, seriously. Unless you put him... Like, if you put him back with Kevin Durant, I mean, I don't know what that team's ceiling is. Uh, they're not winning a championship with Russ as your second best player. Um, if you couldn't do it in 2012, you ain't doing it in 2022. And I love Russell Westbrook, you know. He's a Hall of Famer first ballot, but... He could be going. He could be going because tonight was bad. And this benching and move is going to be tough. But the Lakers did pull it out. LeBron and AD did their thing. Final score is 122 to 115 from Los Angeles. Uh, Evan Fournier, he had some chances to make open shots and he didn't. Uh, Randall, 32 points, 16 rebounds, 7 assists, 11 of 22 from the field. And 2 of 4 from 3 and 8 of 10 from the line. R.J. Barrett had a career-high 36 points on 13 of 28 shooting and 4 of 10 from 3. Eight rebounds and five assists to go along with that. Shout-out to my man Fabian Perspect TV, who we did, are collabing with. If you're a Knicks fan and you're checking me out, I make a lot of Knicks content. You know, not really modern Knicks, but we made a video and we're still I'm still releasing the parts. What went wrong with the Mellow Era Knicks? I just released the first two parts. The next episode will finally be getting to the actual Mellow era. So check those out if you uh, want some history lesson on what happened to the lead up to Mellow and the Knicks franchise. But RJ Barrett's going to be something, guys. And but I was, oh, was going to say shout out to my man Fabian because he's been saying that RJ Barrett should be slowly becoming the number one option or should be the number one option, not Randall. And guys, as I said, I think he's going to be a future all-star after tonight. Um, I saw what I needed to see, and I think that he has offensive more offensive potential than I thought. He's starting to become really good going to the basket. He's starting to become good at stopping on a dime and either pump faking or pivoting and turning when he's within uh, when he's in the paint. So he can still just keep improving. And the sky's the limit when he's when he's young. You know, he's younger than me. He was a one-and-done guy. Alec Burks, 
12.6 boards, 4 assists on 2 of 7 shooting. I already said Evan Fournier, 15 points, 5 of 14 from the field and 3 of 10 from 3. Kemba, he played 24 minutes. He had 7 points on 3 of 7 shooting and 1 of 4 from 3. The Lakers, THT was 1 of 6, but he had the highest plus minus of anybody in the game at plus 22. Again, that's kind of misleading. He didn't have a great game at all. Uh, he definitely, definitely didn't play terribly, but he didn't have a great game. Um, Trevor Reese, as I said, 11 points, 3 of 9. Malik Monk, 29 points. You know, Laker fans, drop the comments. Has he been the third best player this season for the Lakers, or is it just because our expectations for Westbrook are are higher and you know Malik's just been much better relative to expectation? 11 of 20 from the field. That's 55%. 4 of 8 from deep. And then three or four from the foul line, that one missed free throw on the technical. Westbrook, oh my goodness. Five points, four boards, six assists, four turnovers, one for 10 from the field, and minus 15. He got booed as many times as he, as he made shots, fellas. This ain't good. This ain't good. I'm enjoying it, though. Ah, not really. I don't like seeing Russ struggle like this. AD, what a monster performance again. He's been unbelievable. I've, this is the closest I've seen Anthony Davis look to his 2020 self. His aggression on the offensive boards, especially in the second half of games. If AD doesn't get injured again, and this AD goes to the playoffs, the Lakers will have a chance in any series just, just with LeBron and AD alone, honestly. I'd honestly like buy out Russ and just let, let, let them ride if they're going to play like this. 28, I, that, I'm partially joking, by the way. 28 points and 17 rebounds. I'm not joking about the AD stuff, though. Three steals, four blocks. 13 of 19 from the field. And then LeBron Palmer, probably my player of the game. Amazing read late in the game for Ariza's corner three. 29 points, 13 rebounds, and 10 assists. And only three turnovers on 13 of 24 shooting. <coughs> Fuck, guys. I'm sorry. It's hard to talk this long without, like, stoppages. But to end the show, I want to briefly go over the James Harden saga. Kyrie Irving, man, you're killing me. You're killing your fans. Um, I get it. You shouldn't be forced to do something to your body, but you have a you you know you have a team, man. You're part of a team. Kevin Durant was playing such heavy minutes because you weren't there. Kevin Durant is now injured. Because he was playing heavy minutes. Because you weren't there. Kevin Durant is out and they're plummeting because you are part-time. James Harden is now being, normal James Harden, being a diva who's complaining and would be down and get traded, according to Shams, because you didn't want to get vaccinated. And now he's fed up with it. Because like he doesn't know if you're going to play every game in the playoffs. This is insane. And the Nets fans that I, I interact with or see on Twitter are not blaming him at all. It's ridiculous. This team had the most hype. Like, this is the most one-on-one offensive talent on a team ever. I mean, this is the most three best one-on-one scorers on a team ever. They haven't fucking played. It's a joke. It's a joke. And if they get traded, hallelujah. I'm so happy it didn't work out. Because I hate that super team shit. And I honestly think it's a win-win for both sides. Ben Simmons with the Nets would be fantastic. And I think they'd still be a championship team if... Kyrie Irving gets vaccinated. And, you know, I'm honestly, like, not even going to hold back anymore because I'm not going to be like, yeah, you, like, I'm not going to push everybody to get vaccinated, but you are playing for a team with an organization and a fan base behind you, dude. A fan base that has never won a championship in the league. 
Come on, dude. Like, you act like Kevin Durant and James Harden have that many great years, prime years left in them like that. James Harden's already declining. Like, this is insane. And then, as far as Philly, James Harden and Embiid, I mean, that would put you in a different conversation right then and there. Um, Embiid's my MVP if he stays top four, and he is right now, so... That's my feelings on that. We'll have more on this story as it develops. But until then, thanks for joining me tonight, guys. I really appreciate it. 22 people in the live. This is like one of the higher higher live nights tonight on a Saturday night. I'm only in because I'm sick, guys. I'm just fucking with you. If you want to spend your Saturday night with me, I appreciate that more than anything. Thanks for joining me tonight, guys. Uh, 44 minutes on this uh, recap for the Apple Podcast and Spotify listeners. That's a lot. I've been going more in depth lately, but hey, it's almost the second half of the season. Time to pump up the jam. Pump it up. 44 minutes on the dot. Shout out to my man, the logo, Jerry West. Stop disrespecting him. Laker Nation. Peace.